Well, it's good to be back in the house of the Lord. Last uh, weekend, our family went to uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma. For some reason, Baylor Bear has an Oklahoma State cowboy as a son. And i got to tell you, this is natural to me. <clears throat> that's hard. Oh, but that's what they do at their games, and we enjoy spending time with our kids and hanging out with them, and we appreciate the time off. I understand Dr. Webb did a good job last weekend sharing the word with y'all. Uh, he's a lot funnier than I am, apparently, uh, and I kind of knew that, so I figured y'all would enjoy him uh, one Sunday. But this morning, we're going to get back into Ezra. It seems like we've uh, gotten started and gotten stopped, and we had to be out a weekend with family issues, and then we got started, and we got stopped, and... Maybe from here until about Thanksgiving, we can run this book and get through it. But I want you to think about where we've been so far. We've considered the divine timing of God and how we really can't determine when God will bring renewal or revival into our lives. So the key isn't trying to make it happen. The key is to be ready when it does happen, that we can join in with God and be a part of that. Then we looked at that long list of people who were, I, I call the vanguard, the ones who said, yes, we'll go to the promised land, even though it's hundreds of miles across the desert, we'll go. And they get there and, and, and they find that it really is a mess. And the, but God is at work in their lives. And then they had kind of a reality check where they are looking around and going, man, the temple's a mess, our homes are a mess, the town's a mess, the fields are a mess. But God's good, and they worshiped, even in the midst of the trials. This morning, we come to chapter 4 of Ezra, and, and what we find in this chapter is what I'm calling uh, the building blocks, the stumbling blocks that we have in, in life. It, it seems like when we, we begin to get serious about the things of God, we get faithful to the kingdom of God and serving in the church and attending with Bible study groups and all those kind of things, it seems like everything goes wrong, doesn't it? It's like all these things just kind of fall fall apart instead of falling into place. And that's what happens to the people of Israel as they are back in the land of Judah. And, and they're, they're facing a group of people I'm calling naysayers. Y'all know what a naysayer is, don't you? That's the person who says, it can't happen. There's no way that can happen. That's not going to work. That's, that's terrible. Let me tell you all the reasons it won't. Any, uh, you know those people? Some of you live with those people. Some of you work with those people. Some of you... Are those people? I'll just leave it at that. A lot of naysayers in life, aren't there? It can't happen. But I want you to see these four, uh, three things about these naysayers this morning. The first thing I want you to see is in chapter uh, 4, verses 1 and following, is that the naysayer, they make offers. The naysayer offers were made. They make, they make an offer. It's interesting how the negative folks always want to step in and say, let me give you an idea. Here, let me tell you how I can help. Let me jump in there and be a part of what you're doing. Look at the passage with me. It's a little lengthy, but follow with me. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you. For we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, No thanks. 
You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord. The God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia, and in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah in Jerusalem. Now, we've already talked about this. They've begun to rebuild the temple. They've placed an order for the big pillars from Lebanon to get the, the materials to build the, the temple unto the Lord. They have reestablished an altar. They're beginning to sacrifice again, as they had in the, in the days before. They've got the foundation work going on for the temple, and they've ordered all these materials, and they've experienced this amazing outwork, outbreak of God's presence, and they've worshipped, and it's been an amazing experience. So what happens next? Opposition rises. Now, you may be saying, but I read verse 1, and it looked like those folks wanted to help. Well, there's more to their help than is than uh, meets the eye in the passage. In the immediate aftermath of all this, these enemies of God rise up. Now, who were they? If you could put verses 1 back up there, I'd appreciate it. They were a people who had been imported to the land. And back up 70 years before all of this, and you had a nation that had been decimated by war. Their people had been exiled to what is today Iran, to Persia. Remember Daniel and the lion's den and all those guys? You remember Esther and her story? That That's all in this time period. They've been exported, leaving a whole lot of land open. And the, the king at the time said, we're going to bring folks from other parts of the nation to the kingdom and bring them in here and live here. And so those folks move into the area and they do something that is very interesting. They continued to worship their gods just like they had where they came from, but they added to their lives the worship of the local God as they would have seen him. You and I know him as Jehovah, the God of the Bible. They begin to worship along with him. And so when they see them beginning to build the temple, they go, hey, cool, we'll help you all out. We'll jump in there and help. And they said, let us work with you. We worship your God. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's true. What you don't understand from the passage easily is this. They also continue to worship their gods. And you're going, what's the problem with that? Oh, my goodness, guys. You either worship God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, or you don't. And that's the key problem that they're dealing with here. What happens is insidious because these folks, though it seems like a kind and generous gesture, they uh, don't quite give a full disclosure here. They don't really say what they're doing. They just say, we worship him. And my mama used to say, a half a truth, Patrick, is a whole lie. That's a half a truth here is what they're giving here. They're saying we wanted we worship him, but it's not the true truth. They have been sacrificing to the God, but they have also added to it. And so the people of God say, no, not going to happen. Now, when was the last time you got told no? You go, man, that was exciting. I'm so glad I got to get a no. You know, you know with me? Hello? I don't like being told no, neither do you. These folks just got a big what? No, we're not going to take your help. No, you're not going to help us. No, you're not going to participate in this process. Sorry. How do you think that went over? Not so good. That's the struggle we're going to have here for a little bit in the story, is that we've got a big no here. And so what they start doing, the local residents start doing, is start undermining the work of God. We're undermining the work of the people of God. They threaten the people. They bribe individuals to frustrate things. And then finally they say, we're going to write a letter. Can I put that in modern terminology? We're going to jump on Facebook and talk about you. Hello. 
Some of you have been on Facebook lately, apparently. And you've seen the stuff I'm talking about and seen. It's ugly, isn't it? What they decide to do is they write a letter to King Ahasuerus. Now, if you're a Bible scholar and you remember the story of Esther, that name probably sounds familiar. It's the same guy from Esther's story, King Ahasuerus. Pops up here. He's also called Cambyses is another one of his names. That's the weird thing about people in the Bible. They usually get three or four different names depending on who you're talking about. But anyway, what you find is that God's lead results in enemy attacks. And the people of God are facing an attack here because naysayer offers have been made. Second, naysayer accusations are now shared. This is a long passage, so I'm just going to hit the highlights of it for sake of time because I don't really want to read all these weird names. Although I've told you all how we do that, right? You just jump in there and do it and you act like you know what you're doing. So in the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam and Mithridath, see what I'm talking about? And Tabeel and the rest of their associates were owned to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the letter was written in Aramaic and it was translated. And these two guys are important. Rehum, the commander, and Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king as follows. Drop down to verse 11 with me because this is where the copy of the letter happens. To Artaxerxes the king, your servants, the men of the province beyond the river. Now you're going, where is that? That is Jerusalem. That is the land of Judah and Benjamin from the perspective of the Persians. They look at it looking west And there's a river called the Jordan. And on the other side of that river is the land that, if you haven't been watching the news lately, is kind of in the news, is that land of Israel that's been inhabited by God's people, and please hear this, for centuries. That is not a new invention, okay? When you hear people in some media circles say, well, those people have only been there since 1948. Yeah, that's not right. They've been there for centuries, But he says, your servants, the men of the province beyond the river, send greeting. And now be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to us have gone to where? To Jerusalem. Who sent them there? Do you remember? King Cyrus had sent them there. He had said, go over there and build a temple and pray for me. He had told them to go. The problem is the king who's being written to now is not King Cyrus. He has passed away. We are now two kings later within a span of a decade. All right? They've been working about 10 years on the project. They are, I want to give you a secret, king. They're rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute Insert the word taxes for us, and you understand the concern. Custom or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. Now, we're going to lay it on thick, you ready? Now, because we eat the salt of the palace. And some of you are going, what? Salt of the palace is a phrase that is saying, we're your people. We get our salt from the right people. We get it from you, king. Salt's an important item in a hot, dry climate. He says, we get our salt from you. And it's not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor. Therefore, we send and inform the king in order that search may be made to look in the book of records of your fathers. And you will find in the book of records and learn that this city is a rebellious city. 
hurtful to kings and provinces, and that sedition was stirred up in it from old. That's why the city was laid waste 70 years ago. We made known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, then you will no longer have a possession in the province beyond the river. Y'all with me so far? So after several years of trying to work with the new imports as they saw them, but the Jews were simply coming back to their promised land, and they've gotten in nowhere with them, and they've not allowed, been allowed to help build the temple, not be able to work on it, they finally say, okay, we're writing a letter. We're going to write a letter to the editor. We're going to tell everybody the truth. You ready? That's what they're doing, in a sense, okay? They write this letter to the current king, and they share accusations. They make some charges against God's people. They called the city of Jerusalem a rebellious and wicked city. They reported that the recently returned exiles are doing something that maybe the king didn't know about. They're rebuilding that temple. They're going to put those walls up. You better be checking on them. You better see what's going on. And, and, And then they make an unsupported conclusion that says this. If they finish that work, they're going to quit paying their taxes. And you're going to lose that land. Doesn't that sound like social media to you and me? We always make these accusations, these broad brush, this could happen, this could happen. The sky's going to fall if you don't take care of this right now. And then they add that little phrase, we eat the salt of the palace. In other words, we're the real followers of you, king, not those people. What they're doing is what enemies of God often do. They're not playing fair and they're not being truthful. Whatever their motivation was, their action was clear. They're going to lie, conjecture, manufacture evidence, and just say whatever it takes to try to get their way. And then for the final piece of evidence, they say, oh, by the way, king, go back and look at the records. You remember the records of the Medes and Persians that could not be altered? We run across that in Daniel's. That's how you end up in the, in the Daniel, in the, in the lion's den. And they say, look at what happened back then. Those folks that are building now, our ancestors are the people that y'all had to, well, your people y'all took over had to take care of and wipe out and take their city from them. In other words, you just can't trust them. You can't trust those people. And you're going to lose control. So what happens? The naysayer's words stopped the work of God. You're going, how does that happen? How does God's work get stopped by negativity? (laughs) Welcome to America, right? Welcome to our lives, right? Negativity can be so damaging and detrimental. So the king sent an answer to these two guys that we just mentioned earlier, to Rehum the commander and Shimshai. That's a cool name. I wish we had another son. We called him Shimshai. Shimshai, don't tell my wife, Shimshai the scribe and the rest of their associates who live in Samaria and in the rest of the province beyond the river greeting And now the letter that you sent to us has been plainly read before me. And I made a decree and a search was made and I found that the city is indeed rebellious of uh, of old days. From old has risen against kings and that rebellion and sedition has been made in it. And mighty kings have been in Jerusalem who ruled over the whole province beyond the river to whom tribute, custom, and toll were paid. Therefore make a decree that these men be made to cease and that this city not be rebuilt until a decree is made by me. And take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the king? Then, when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shemshai, they shouted for joy. That's a paraphrase. It's not in the Bible that way, okay? But that's what they did. 
They went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them cease. Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now we see the response. They have done their research. They have looked at who these people are. They've been reminded who they are. They said, "Uh uh-oh, we need to kind of put a hole on this right now. Now they're looking at their perspective from their land. They're looking at the people in in Jerusalem as rebellious, as seditious, as needing to be put under a thumb. And since the king who had commissioned the rebuilding of the temple has gone and died, um, all they had was the records. They said, here's what we got. These are the folks. We got a problem. We better stop and check it out. So the king says, stop working. So when Rehum and Shemshai get the news, they rush over and say, stop. I got to tell you, negativity has a way of stopping good stuff. So what do we do with this? Three quick thoughts. The first one I think is this, that we need to know the enemy. Are you all familiar with uh, uh, the Chinese general Sun Tzu? You go, who? Who's Zhu? I don't know Zhu. I feel like I'm in a Seuss story for a moment there. Sorry. General Zhu had a, a phrase that you've heard. You may not have realized who it was. He said this, a quote. He says, know thy enemy and know yourself. In a hundred battles, you will never be defeated. Now, I am not here to preach General Zhu this morning, but I want you to understand that principle applies in spiritual battles. We need to know our enemies. We need to know about them. We need to understand them. In order to be everything God wants us to be as we work to rebuild our walk with him, we've got to be aware and alert of what the enemies of God and Ultimately, if you're a follower of God, the enemies of God are your enemies, what they will do to tear you down, to hold you back, to keep you from being what God wants you to be. They, the enemies of God will speak destructive criticism. They'll spread gossip about you. They'll make up stories about you. They'll work to damage your walk with the Lord. They may be openly aggressive. They may be passively aggressive, but they will work for whatever reason they can to tear you down. And for us to not look around and understand that is foolish on our part. We need to understand what's going on around us. See, as we learn the ways of the enemies, we can be better equipped to stand against their actions. We need to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Now, you can't control an enemy, I promise you. I may have tried to do that over the years. I can't do it. I'm tired of doing it, trying to do it. I want you to understand, you cannot control them, but you can predict them. You can watch for their actions. You can be prepared for what's going to come when they step up. Why is that? Because we tend to be creatures of habit. We tend to do the same stuff over and over and over, whether we're positive or negative. And as followers of God, to believe that the enemy would never attack us is simplistic, and I would even say foolish. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus about these battles and spiritual struggles that we find ourselves. And he said this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And do what? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Folks, we need to be preparing ourselves for spiritual battle every single day. You may not be in a major battle today. You may not be in one tomorrow. But it is coming soon. We don't know when those will happen. 
But we can be prepared for them by being in the Lord, walking with Him, connecting to Him. That means that we stand not in our strength, but in God's strength. Not in our power, but in His power. And be prepared and armed for battle. Does that mean you won't become wounded? Of course you may. I would almost say you probably will be wounded. That's what happens in battle. But if you're prepared, God will carry you through it. Second thing I want you to see is this. We need to get closer to God. You say, well, I've got a pretty good devotional life. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm spending time in Scripture. I'm reading the Bible. I, I pray on a regular basis. I come to Sunday school. I come to worship services. I, come to, I do all that stuff. But we need to keep on getting closer and closer and closer. See, this walking with the Lord is a process where we grow deeper and deeper year by year. And things get broader and broader day by day with Him. Have you ever noticed how easy it is for spiritual fervor I'm talking about your spiritual fervor, mine, to fade. We get serious about the things of God, then what happens? Three weeks later, we're wandering again. Why is that? The people of Ezra's day have taken on this massive journey. They've come to the promised land. They've gathered together. They're rebuilding the temple. They're working on the altar, and they're faithfully working to God. And it was easy for them, and it's easy for us, to let our favor, our fervor with the Lord to fade how quickly our hearts become cold. How quickly our passion becomes stale. You say, why don't we fix that? We have to keep working at it. We have to keep coming to the Lord. Keep coming back to Him. Keep confessing our sins. Keep saying, God, forgive me of this. Forgive me of this sin. Forgive me of this action. Forgive me. Go into those who need to be reconciled with and get it straightened out. Jesus' brother, Jesus, uh, James, wrote to his people uh, who are facing a pagan, abrasive culture, kind of like we are, and he said to them this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Sometimes we live like we don't even believe the devil's real. I'm here to tell you he is. And he wants nothing more than to make you into just a plain, bland, weak Christian if you're already giving your heart to Christ. And if you've never given your heart to Christ, he wants to keep you from doing that however he can. So you don't get to experience the blessings that God has for you. You know, we can never predict, predict where the Spirit of God is going to be moving. But we can be ready for it by saying we're going to submit to you, God. And we're going to resist the devil. And we're going to be a part of your kingdom's work. Walking close to God sometimes is not all that glamorous because it's hard work. But he's with us. And then the last principle I want to throw for you this morning, throw out for you is this. Refuse to give up. Refuse to give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. See, living with such a commitment to God, we're going to say this, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to walk away. And when I do make mistakes, what do we do? We're going to beat ourselves up. We're going to quit. No, we're going to turn back to God and say, God, forgive me so I can be a part of your work. I'm not going to give up. See, there will always be those who are going to attack you, those who want to tear you down. And we will often find people standing against us, even when we sense God's moving in our lives. And if we're not careful, we'll start looking around at each other and going, well, I don't, they're doing this and they're doing that and I'm doing this. Let me remind you, our high calling is to listen to one voice. 
to live our lives for an audience of one. That's the Lord Jesus. That's the call he has for us. I love the words that Paul wrote to his associate, Timothy, as he was coming to the near of his end of his rough life. He said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. My prayer for you this morning is twofold. One is if you don't know the Lord, you meet him. Because without a relationship with God, the end of this life is worthless. And I suspect the days of this life are not going to be what they could be without him. For many of you in this room, my prayer is this, that you'd be faithful. You say, well, I haven't been. I've been not, I haven't been real serious about the, today's the day. You say to yourself, I'm going to do it starting now. I'm going to start walking with it. I want to figure out how to do it. Maybe you say, I need somebody to show me how to spend time in God's Word. I guarantee you, any one of our deacons or staff or Sunday school teachers, anybody, a lot of our members in this church can just show you how to do that. It's important to be in God's Word. Let Him speak to you. So you don't give up when things get hard. You remember the old song, We'll Work Till Jesus Comes? So we don't sing that anymore, do we? Not often. But you know what? That is a great illustration of what our life is supposed to be. Because I have yet to find a retirement age in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say work until you get to 65 and then you can quit working for the kingdom. It doesn't say that. You may not work a job anymore, but you can still keep working in God's kingdom. That's his call for us, guys, is to be faithful. And that happens when we surrender to him and give our lives over to him. We invite you to respond this morning. Father God, we pray that as we spend just a few minutes listening to your word and looking at this kind of interesting story about how when things seem to be going right, there comes an enemy to attack. Father, I pray for those who need to respond in some form or fashion this morning. I pray that your spirit would guide them to, be the, to do the things that they need to. Father, for many of us, the response is not a public coming forward to commit our lives publicly to Christ or or becoming part of a local fellowship. But, Father, it's a commitment that says right where we're at, God, I want to be more faithful to you tomorrow than I was yesterday. I want to be more in tune with you so that no matter what battles come, I'm ready. Father, we pray for those who need to respond publicly. Give them that opportunity now in Jesus' name. Amen.